How can we help the problem child? As parenting heroes, we want our children to feel our love, to know that they are worthy and needed, and to keep them connected to our family and the things that matter most. We are Kent and Amy Bowler, and we are here to fortify you in that divine calling as parenting heroes. This is where joy lives. Welcome to Revolutionary Families. Good news is we have had children, and therefore we've had and seen some problems. So we might have an answer for this one. Let's go. We just got done watching our daughter perform in The Music Man. Super fun to see her perform in that full-length production. And we got to see it about 27 times. Not, not <laughs> quite 27, but it was quite a few. And, and so we now have The Music Man memorized and feel like we could get up on stage and start performing with him. Well, maybe not, but we could at least recite the lines. And so we've been immersed in this culture of River City, from Meredith Wilson, you know, set back in the early 1900s. And it was really interesting, the stories and the principles that we can pull out from from that story. So the story we want to share with you has to do with Tommy, Tommy Boy. So our daughter played Zanita, and she was the daughter of the mayor of the town. And her and Tommy Boy were going steady behind the mayor's back. And oh, he didn't like that one bit. (laughs) So much fun stuff. The reason why the mayor didn't like Tommy Boy or the fact that Zanita was going out with him was that he came from the wrong side of town and he saw him. Literally. Literally. I can't remember which is the wrong side, but he was from the wrong side. (laughs) (laughs) And he saw him as a wild boy. He just called him as a wild boy and... You know, he said, the only thing that you've got in store for your life is reform school. That's what's written all over you, you know, and just he characterized and saw him as worthless. And one of the redeeming things that happens during the course of this play is that Harold Hill, our hero, our protagonist, the the salesman, right, who's selling the, the boy's band, sees in Tommy what the mayor did not see. And sees in Tommy what the constable did not see in him. There's a scene with the constable and because Tommy's playing a, a little prank and gets in trouble with the constable and everybody else. And But what Harold Hill, again our hero, saw in Tommy was something else. He saw in him someone who could create and someone who the other boys and the other kids looked up to and asked him to be a leader for the band, to be to be the director of the band and to create new ways of holding music. And as he saw something there in Tommy that the others didn't see, Tommy reacted to that. He responded to that and he became a new man because of it. Right, so the show ends with Tommy Boy in uniform with the big baton thing leading the band and with the mayor shaking his hand, respecting the work that Tommy has done and the leader that he has become. And it's, it's this really fun story that illustrates what happens when we see good things, especially in our children. Yeah, and, and it just makes us think of the our old favorite, which is the Pygmalion effect and that study that was done where the kids are in the class, the teacher thinks that they've taken the test and these five are the smartest ones. And it turns out that they never actually took a test. They just randomly picked five. And then at the end of the year, those five actually do perform better 
because the teacher has this belief. And in mm-hmm. this case, it wasn't actually true, but she had this belief that, that they were... the test were, wasn't true. Right. Her belief in them was absolutely right. true. It was rock solid. Right, right. She believed that they had this potential for growth and learning that was above the others. And because of her belief, somehow it translated to them so that by the end of the year, they actually did perform better. It's amazing. So, so cool. And we see it. I, I love it in the play. So, so fun. Right. Yeah, we see it unveil, yeah. develop yeah. on stage in front of our eyes. Yeah. And so how does how does this apply to our families? Do any of us as parents have a child in our home we would label as the problem child? Or um, when you were growing up, can you remember someone who was the problem child, the black sheep, you know, (laughs) those kinds of stereotypical labels? And what do we do with them? You know, the child that just gives us the most heartache, that gives us the hardest. It's just the one that we feel like is the hardest to parent. We clash with. We don't get. We don't understand. They Um, they push our buttons. Yeah. We get triggered by them really easily. Yeah. There's a solution. And. And the first solution is to stop calling them the problem <laughs> child, to stop talking with our friends about our problem child or the one kid or the one who is, it's really in that labeling of them is reinforcing this negative belief and the negative things that we see them do. Oh, yep, of course. Yep, he is the problem child. Oh, Yeah, she's the problem child, just like we talked. We knew she was, and here she is. No, they're they're living up to our expectations of them. So that's the first thing is to switch that mindset and to change that and to start to see that they actually have good in them and that they are doing good right now. No matter who they are, any child is doing good right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this this other book that we've read that we love. We we love books. We love reading books. And it's one of our favorites. It's called The Anatomy of Peace. And in The Anatomy of Peace, they they teach these principles telling stories, which we also love, right? Using stories to pull principles out of. And they go through this story where there's uh, it's this camp for troubled kids, the wild kids, the problem children. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a wilderness camp, and those those exist in our society. There are several in our com- nearby community where the youth are sent out on their own, taken out of their home and brought to a, a place where they can learn to turn themselves around. Right, and what's interesting in the anatomy of peace is that there's the, the camp, this wilderness survival camp that the kids are going to, but part of the school includes a two-day seminar for the parents. Interesting, right? <laughs> What's wrong with the parents? Why do the parents have to go to reform school? Right, right. And they, they, they open the book up with, it's basically the whole book is about this two-day workshop that the parents are brought through. And this main dad in the book, he is so upset that he's having to come away from work and waste his time. He thought they were just going to tell him about how they're going to help the kids. And it turns out that actually the workshop is for them as parents. And they are delving into what makes relationships and why do we why do we do what we do? How do we feel? And it doesn't take very long into the book before you start to realize that this main dad and now I can't remember his name. <laughs> Lou. Lou, good job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
he is he's angry and he's angry at his son who's at this wilderness camp he's angry at his wife he's angry at his co-workers he's angry at his employees he does not have a heart at peace he's actually at war within his heart and and most of all he's realizing that his son can feel this his son who is really struggling can feel that his dad doesn't believe in him he sees him very strongly very squarely in the troubled child role his son is stepping into that role and then his father is reinforcing that and just thinking how he's he's wasted his life he's made so many bad choices and he's now going to this troubled camp that I had to pay so much money for and I had to waste my time to come here for two days and this is such an inconvenience to me and our family and he's going nowhere just all these negative things that he's either said out loud or he has thought within himself and they are just bringing him on this really downward spiral super super damaging but the cool thing about the book is that in the course of this workshop this father Lou realizes where he is and that much of his son's behavior is attributed to his heart as a father it can seem discouraging that a lot of our children's poor behavior and good behavior is based on things that we do, but it's also encouraging and it gives me hope because it means that I can have influence over my child. We can't force them to do anything, but the way that I think and believe and feel about my child has an impact on what they think and feel, which then in turn affects what they do. Out of all the people on the planet, our children recognize and understand that we as their parents are the ones who love them the most, who care about them the most. We've been there from the get-go, from the start, and their whole lives we've been there tending to their needs, caring for them, helping them along the way. So when we lose sight of who they are, when we lose sight of their goodness, just like with the Pygmalion effect that we've talked about, they feel that, yeah. right? And it's, and it's amplified, that Pygmalion effect, because of that strong, strong connection that we have with our children. Our kids get us. They feel what we feel. And we can't hide that, right? Even if we say the right words, they're going to feel what we feel. And so this is, as Amy has said, is super exciting because if we've forgotten that, it's okay. Or if we're not perfect, that's okay. Because we we can mend our hearts and we can restore that connection with them as we remember this principle that Harold Hill demonstrated in The Music Man and that they talk about in The Anatomy of Peace, right? When we take the opportunity, when we remember to see their goodness, it changes our heart towards them. And now we don't have the heart of at war, as they describe it in The Anatomy of Peace. Now we have the heart at peace where it's okay, where regardless of what they choose to do, we still get it. We understand. And, and there's this other concept that we talk about as we describe this in our homes and with our children, and that is to be able to see our kids as toddlers. Yeah. Right? So what happens when, when our kids are learning how to walk? Yeah, when they're, when they're learning how to walk, it is so much fun. They're so adorable. And they take a little step and then they fall down. And then they might get up. Maybe they don't get up that day. Maybe it's not for a couple of days before they get back up again and take a step. And we are cheering for them. We're excited for them all the way. And yet when they get older, 
we're not as excited when they make those mistakes. And this is a mindset to have a toddler mindset is not to think like a toddler, but to think like the parent of a toddler and to see our kids as practicing, that they are on a journey and we believe that they are going to learn how to walk. We aren't worried that they won't learn it. Mm -hmm. We really can trust that they're going to learn it. And along the way, there'll be some mistakes, there'll be some bumps and bruises, but it's going to happen. And it's going to happen, we don't know when, but but we believe that it will. And that is this belief that our kids need us to feel about them all along the journey of them growing up, is that we believe that they are five-year-olds and they are going to fall down in different ways than when they were learning to walk. They are learning how to get themselves dressed. They're learning how to make a friend. They're learning how to share their toys. They're learning how to listen to mom and dad, you know, all along the way. And now we, like we've talked about before, our daughter's learning how to drive. We're not stressed about that because we know partly because she is number six driver that we've taught, we know she's going to learn it. No, she's not very good right now. That's okay. She's going to get it. It might take her a different amount of time than it took somebody else. And she might be more worried about it. You know, different, they all have different gifts and talents, but she's going to learn. She's going to learn how to drive. And so we can see her as just practicing. And we were, we were doing this activity last night in our, in our daily family revival with our family. We were learning some stories about the Savior and about how he loved and believed in everyone. He is this perfect example for us in everything. And in, and in this, we see so many time after time, the woman at the well, even though she's in the middle of making all these mistakes, he believed in her. He saw her for who she was deep down. And then we got this chance to do this activity where we wrote down, we each had a blank piece of paper and we wrote down, what do they need? and trying to see people as the Savior sees them. And both of our older children who are living at home, our teenager and and barely adult child, I, I wrote down that one of the things that they need right now is for me to believe in them. And to, to not see them as the struggling child, the struggling teenager, the, the kind of bad side or the, or the negative side, but to see the positive, to believe in them. And just a, just a reminder to me that our kids need us to believe in them. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we all are practicing and we all have the opportunity to grow and to change. None of us are expected to be perfect today. We all want to be perfect right now. And, yeah. and, and we see our kids and they, and they do something great and we go, phew, right? They made it. They got it. No, they got it once. And it's just like when they're learning how to walk. They take that one step and then they fall. After they take that first step, it doesn't mean they've mastered the art of walking and then running. And so we, we just need to adjust our expectations and recognize and know up front that there's going to be failures, times when they fall flat on their face in the mud and it's ugly and it's painful and it's hard. And instead of labeling them as that problem child, that wild child, destined for reform school, Tommy Gillis, <laughs> that they're beautiful, that they're amazing, and that they have this massive potential that they are fulfilling because they are practicing. 
right? That's the only way that any of us get there. That's the only way that we have any ability to improve is because we practice, because we try. That is such a blessing that they have the opportunity to practice and to practice in our home where it's a safe place where they can fall down. Just like when we're driving, we practice in the parking lot first because it's a safer place. And so our home is the place for our children to practice all along their journey of becoming adults. And we get to be the ones to guide them and cheer for them. And when they fall down, be there to put our arms around them and let them know that even though they made that mistake and it looks horrible and it feels awful and they they don't know if they're going to ever come out of it, that it's okay. We believe in them. We know they can get back up again and try again. And they're going to learn and they're going to grow and become these amazing adults who are able to nurture and strengthen other people and have their own families. Yeah, so good. So we want to stay connected with you. We invite you to go to revolutionaryfamilies.com and download the PDF that's there. And guess what? The first section in there is all about seeing them as toddlers. And then there's some questions that follow up in the back that help you to put that into practice. And <laughs> Go download that and, and use that workbook to help you see your kids as toddlers. Yeah, yeah, that they are still practicing. And don't forget to trust that God trusts you.